go ahead and open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, if you've got one of our Bibles here, looks like this. It's on page 963, Luke chapter 9, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 11, page 963. If, uh, if you don't own a Bible or if you've got an old Bible and need a new one, feel free to take one of our Bibles with you. This is our gift to you today. And as we've been walking through the book of Luke together for a long time now, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about prayer. And a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that I have never had a conversation with another believer and asked them, man, how's your prayer life? And they respond by saying, man, I've been praying way too much. Okay, <laughs> I've never met a Christian that says my prayer life. In fact, uh, I think it was, yeah, D.A. Carson goes as far to say that, you, you know what, if you really want to embarrass your average, the average Christian, ask them about their private prayer life, okay? They may be able to tell you all sorts of theological knowledge that they've gained. They may be able to tell you great stories about missionary adventures that they've been on, but you ask them about their private prayer life, and it's crickets, nothing. And so why do we struggle so much with that? Why do, we, why do I struggle? Why do we all struggle so much with prayer? And we've talked about one of those reasons, one of the reasons we struggle with prayer is because we simply don't know how to pray. We don't know what to say. It's never been modeled to us. And so I'm thankful that Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, teaches us what to say, how to say. But there's another reason that we struggle with prayer, if we're honest, and Jesus actually addresses it right after the Lord's Prayer. And so almost in the same breath, if we're honest, we struggle with prayer because we just don't seem to think it's effective. We struggle with prayer. We don't pray because we pray and we're like, is God even listening? Is God even there? We pray and nothing seems to happen. Nothing seems to change. And so we just simply give up. Well, Jesus anticipated that struggle. And so right after the Lord's Prayer, he shares a story, a, a parable to encourage us not to give up, to continue to keep on praying. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. But I want to make sure that, especially if you haven't been here, that we go back and we take one more look at the Lord's Prayer, because I don't want to disconnect these two passages. This story, this parable, comes right after the Lord's Prayer. And so it's in the same breath he's saying. And so in the Lord's Prayer, we see Jesus teaching us really the content of prayer. And then in today's story, in this parable, he's going to teach us the attitude of prayer that we should have. And so let's walk back through the Lord's Prayer just briefly. Okay, so if you've been with us, hopefully this is a good review for you. If you haven't been with us, this will give you the context of the parable that we're about to study together today. And so Jesus teaches his disciples. This is a, the disciples ask him a question, how do we pray? This is how Jesus responds to that question. He starts by saying, you need to address God as Father. All right? He could have said anything. He could have said King, Almighty. Uh, he, he, but he addresses God as Father because it's a reminder that if you're in Christ, you're adopted into his family, we have a Father in heaven who is like a good father, compassionate, faithful. And we're going to see today, we're reminded of a good father is one who gives good gifts to his children. And so after he teaches his disciples how to address God, he shares with them, you need to ask God for these five things. He gives them five petitions, five requests 
And so first one, he says, hallowed be your name. And so that's a request saying, in other words, God, make your name sacred in my heart. Make your name treasured above everything else in my life. Help me to know you and worship you. Number two, he says, your kingdom come. In other words, bring your rule, bring your reign, bring your, the peace that comes with that. Jesus, come back. That's that prayer. That's that request. Number three, give us each day our daily bread. And so, in other words, provide for our basic needs. He's teaching us to be daily dependent upon God. Number four, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive each or everyone who is indebted to us. And so confession should be a regular part of our prayer. Not for the sake of salvation, if you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ and you're saved, you don't have to keep asking for forgiveness to continue to be saved, but you do have to continue to ask for forgiveness because you want to maintain a healthy relationship with God. And so we confess our sins before God, even as believers, so that we could have a joyful, intimate relationship with God. And then number five, lead us not into temptation. In other words, help me endure the trials and the temptations of life so that I don't fall into it, so that I don't keep me from sin, even when the temptation comes. So I don't know if you've realized this yet, but all of those petitions that are in the Lord's Prayer are things that God has already promised to give us in other places in Scripture. Okay, think about it. All of those prayer or all of those requests, those petitions, God's always already promised them in other places. So Jesus is teaching us to ask for things that God has already promised to give us. He's teaching us to pray God's promises back to him. And so in God's infinite wisdom, he has ordained that his promises will be fulfilled through the prayers of his people. Somebody explained it once to me as it's kind of like God has his promises in his hand and he extends his promises to you and prayer is prying the hand of God open so that he gives you the promises he's offered. And so that's the content of how we should pray. And so before we jump into the passage today, this, this parable, let's, let's bow before God one more time. Father, gosh, we do not deserve the blood of Christ paying the penalty for our sins. We do not deserve the good gifts that you promise us, and we stand in awe of your goodness. Open the eyes of our heart to see how good you are as our Father in heaven. Open the eyes of our heart to see your glory. Help us to understand this passage, but not just be hearers of your word. Help us to be doers of your word. I pray that we would, we would be transformed by your word. That we would leave here as prayer warriors, passionate, dependent, confident, humble prayers. 
change us for your glory, that we would reflect your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we pick up in verse 5. And so right after, he teaches the Lord's Prayer, and he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Okay, let's pause there for a second. I want to just kind of paint the picture here. This is not an unusual response, I would think. All right, if you go over to your neighbor, maybe, maybe midnight, you go knock on your neighbor's door. Maybe they're even your friend, uh, and you're, you're asking for something. Uh, I mean, gosh, that, that's a pretty big ask. And you got to remember, back then, midnight was the middle of the night. They went to bed at, at dusk. When the, when the sun went down, they went to sleep. And so they've been, in sleep, they've been asleep for a long time at this point. They're in REM. I mean, they're, they're out. And so you go knock on their door and bang on their door. And remember, this is a one-room house. There's one bed. Whole family sleeps together. And so he mentions, look, if I get out of bed, my kids are going to wake up, okay? Baby's going to be up for another hour. He's going to be cranky. Mama's going to be cranky. No, just go away. Okay, I can understand that response. But on the flip side of this, I can understand back then, this man, I can understand why they would be desperate to get some bread for their friend. Hospitality back then was huge. Hospitality was a big issue because it was not unusual for somebody to come and knock on your door at night because that's when they traveled. It was cooler in the evening. And so it would be very, very rude of you to turn that person away. And if they came in hungry, which typically they would after traveling for, for a season, it would be rude for you not to offer them some food. And so if somebody came to your house and they were hungry, I can understand you being desperate enough to go to your friend's house next door and knock on their door for some bread. And so Jesus says in verse 8, I tell you, though that he will not get up and give him anything because of he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give them whatever he needs. And so Jesus is saying, look, your friendship isn't enough to motivate them to get out of bed. But because you keep on knocking and you keep on crying and you just won't stop, they're finally like, okay, I give. I'll get up and I'll give you whatever you want or whatever you need, I should say. Verse 9, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. In the tense of the original language, the, the Greek words here is important. It's, it's present tense, which indicates a continuing action in the original language. It means he's literally saying, Jesus is saying, look, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And so Jesus is encouraging us to, to persevere in prayer, to be persistent in prayer. And, and in, in the next verse, he says, look, this is why you should keep on knocking, even when it seems like nobody's home. Okay? Sometimes we pray, and that's what it feels like. Verse 11, this is why we should persist in prayer. So what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, 
Well, instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So Jesus is saying, look, the reason you should persist in prayer is because you know the character of God. He's a compassionate Father. He's a good Father. Even the best fathers here on earth are evil compared to our Heavenly Father. And so if you ask him for an egg, he's not going to give you a scorpion. If you, if you ask him for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. He's a good father. He gives good gifts to his children. You can trust him. So again, what is the, what's the attitude that we should have in prayer? Well, we see persistence here and we see confidence. If you're taking notes, those are the two things we're going to focus on here moving forward. Our attitude in prayer should be persistence and confidence. The key word in this parable it's kind of a funny word we don't use very often. It's, it's impudence, okay? Word that we don't often hear. It says, yet because of your impudence, he will rise and give whatever you need. And so what is impudence? Impudence is a lack of sensitivity to what is proper. That's what impudence is. Other versions of the Bible translate this word as boldness. Or if you've got the NIV, I love this translation, shameless audacity. Often it's translated as just persistence. But it's a persistence that doesn't care what anybody else thinks. Great illustration of this in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, Hannah. Hannah wanted children something bad. And she prayed and she prayed that God would allow her to become pregnant. Her pain.